And we're live. Okay. Awesome. Uh, we are welcome back to the MindMeld PR vlog, uh, where we talk to you about interesting uh, topics in public relations and marketing and anything connected to that. Uh, I am your host, Jonathan Narvey, and I have a special guest here, uh, Kemp Edmonds, who is uh, the director of marketing and technology for our Digital Media Academy. And today we are going to be talking about digital marketing strategies that actually work. Awesome. Sounds, I'm excited nice. to be here. Yeah. yeah thanks yeah. for having me. Okay. So uh, before we get into this, Kemp, maybe you could provide a bit more context. Why should anybody be listening to you? What, <laughs> what, what gives you the expertise in this subject? Go ahead. Well, um, you know what, I don't really believe in expertise, but I am a lifelong learner and uh, constantly trying and testing things. I think my marketing and digital marketing journey began more than 10 years ago as I was uh, studying marketing at BCIT and then being involved with a student club that allowed me to engage with a lot of entrepreneurs and help them with their businesses. Uh, some of the most interesting things I did in those kind of days were like the, you know, the Facebook ad that would only cost sort of 10 to 25 cents to get a click. Um, you know, highly, highly qualified and targeted. I also, you know, had something featured on YouTube um, and that drove, you know, 20,000 views overnight. And I was quite, you know, amazed by that. What was what, that? That was a video describing what our student club did actually. It was like a 45 second video. I remember I shot it on like a handheld digital camera. This is 2008 maybe. And then I think I put it in the nonprofits and activism section because we were, we are a nonprofit organization, nonprofit club. And then it was featured and I was like, wow. And it had all this data about what countries and how long people watch. And, you know, I just was so blown away by what information was available out there. And the fact that, you know, I think even in those times and even five, 10 years later, a lot of people are like, you know, Facebook just sells my data to people. And I kept telling them, it's like, no, no, Facebook sells advertisers the opportunity to market and target people just like you uh, using your attributes. I recommend you go spend $5 of your own money and drive some clicks to a charity that you love because you're going to see some really interesting things there. Um, the final thing was actually using Hootsuite in its very early days. I, I don't know if you remember this, but the Pirate Bay, which is a torrent website for people to download illegal uh, materials, um, was going through a trial. And what would happen was the trial would end European time, which is sort of the start of the day on the, on the Pacific coast here. And I would translate content and publish it with the hashtags and, you know, using Hootsuite to schedule that and to shorten the links, I was able to see, wow, hundreds of people from all these countries are clicking this, these links. And I think the combination of those three things kind of got me super excited about digital marketing. Uh, I became a consultant at that point. Um, left uh, BCIT as a student to become a member of the digital marketing and social team there. I kind of pioneered that at BCIT, um, you know, had some fun with some video contests, a lot of social media work. You know, one of the most impactful things I did was actually uh, going to the YouTube channel and search engine optimizing all the titles of all the videos. So these great videos about being a marine engineer technologist at BCIT, but it was called MOV underscore 205 or something like that. So uh, it was crazy because you know you, you do all these things, you spend all this time and money to build a user generated you know, uh, content campaign. And the most impactful thing you did was update all the video titles on YouTube. So, so you would be amazed 
how <laughs> often that does not get done uh, to the to this date. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. Second most used search engine yeah. in the world. Like it yeah. just, um, you know, at my current company, one of the things when I came along, all the sort of videos that introduced the courses and marketed the courses were stored on Wistia. And Wistia is a great platform if you want to store video and get lots of attention metrics. Uh, you know, that, you know, YouTube's brought in a lot of that in the last five years. But, you know, for educational purposes, Wistia, really important, you know, how long a specific user went through a specific video. But, you know, as an educational company, that's great for our content that's behind sort of the paywall once people are customers. But it doesn't make sense to have it for your sort of marketing videos. So, you know, turning those all out into YouTube was a, a really important thing as well. Again, second most used search engine in the world. Hmm. As part of your biography, now, am I wrong? Or you were one of the earliest uh, employees at Hootsuite. Many people say I was the first power user to get hired, um, which I think at one point was kind of a slight against me. Um, but no, I, yeah, that's right. So after I left BCIT, um, it was actually the cascading impact of the 2008 financial crisis and then a cuts that, that happened at BCIT in sort of 2011, 2012. And that was kind of like a first in, first out kind of, or uh, last in, first out. So I was kind of one of the, on the bottom of the seniority ladder. And so, uh, you know, the budgets were cut and so was my role. Best thing that ever happened to me, um, you know, stocked the Hootsuite job board, found a job that was super appropriate, um, built some connections there. There's a really cool interview I did with Ryan Holmes when I was at BCIT that kind of is a snapshot in time of sort of what Hootsuite was like in 2010 or 2011 or maybe 2009 even. Um, and yeah, so when I joined, there was about 25 people there and I stayed for almost five years, had such an incredible time working with an incredible team. Um, I got to sell without selling. So I was kind of the, the product expert and was able to, you know, when, when people ask me my title all the time, I say, well, I'm a settler. I was a settler at Hootsuite. And what does that mean? Well, I would, as a settler, your job is to find areas of opportunity to open them up and to build them up, to set them up. And then to move on and settle the next one. So, you know, that meant things like enterprise support, um, which was, you know, separate from a free user support. Um, that was something that I, I strived to make happen there because, you know, the way you treat a free user, which is kind of got to churn and burn a lot of the time and like keep moving through tickets as a support agent. With enterprise, you really got to, you know, put on the white gloves and, and give that extra level of service and extra value. That led into... Um, account management and training. So, you know, at one point we were going up against Radian 6 slash Salesforce in the early days. And we would kind of say, oh, well, those guys charge like $250 an hour for you to get training from their experts. Um, you know, we got Kemp. Kemp will give you unlimited training. And there's a few companies that uh, really took advantage of that. Um, you know, one intern on a call for 45 minutes. Um, but in the end, uh, training became professional services. And we were charging those sort of $200, $250 an hour for our services. One of the most interesting things I learned there was I thought, you know, if you're a big company, you're like, oh, good. Well, we're going to save this the services money. No, no, no. Big companies are used. Like when they buy a piece of software for five or six figures or more, if it doesn't come with a services component that's four or five figures, maybe even six figures, they're, sh they're afraid. They're like, well, enterprise software always comes with like a $20,000 services component. So that was a big learning for me. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds and then, like, sorry, I... I just wanted to interject that, uh, number one, it sounds like you basically built the company. Uh, you were clearly uh, uh, the number one driver of growth, bar none, and I'm not gonna let you uh, um, 
you know, oh my God. Debate, debate, dispute if anyone, that, so. if anyone who, who works, <laughs> has worked with me is on watching this, please take everything Jonathan's saying, knowing Jonathan. Yes. Yes. Well, and uh, let me, uh, I, I need to interrupt for a second. This, uh, this podcast is definitely not brought to you by uh, Vancouver Island Brewing, but I would very much enjoy it if it were. So uh, Vancouver Island Brewing, I can't quite seem to make uh, the, the can sort of there. It's kind of a ghost beer. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, actually, I had another ulterior motive. I wanted to tell a uh, a story and provide also a little bit of context because people may not realize uh, on the, in the digital marketing space, Hootsuite was clearly one of the one of the leading companies out there. Had a huge impact. Obviously, it's one of Canada's. It, if if I'm not wrong, it was the first uh, sort of Canadian unicorn or narwhal. I think they called it. But uh, clearly, you know, just had a huge impact for marketers and for people who used marketing. And my story is um, uh, at, at a time when there was major growth, you know, after the cohort that hired you, and then you did such a good job that the company just kept on growing and, and hiring people. And uh, anyone who was super cool and talented uh, in, in the marketing space was working at Hootsuite at that time. And uh, so obviously I didn't work there. But uh, I'd say there were more uh, there were more great, cool marketing people in the city of Vancouver than there ever were marketing jobs at Hootsuite. <laughs> it's very kind of you to say. I did get a recruiter, well, actually two different recruiters uh, over the space of a few years reach out to me and ask me if I was uh, uh, interested. And, you know, both times it was like, oh, my God, you're amazing. And yeah, let's make this happen. And then both times I threw in my salary uh, expectations. They're like, uh, yeah, well, we'll be in touch. So, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I guess the moral of that story is um, to uh, Ryan Holmes, who, uh, um, you know, next to Kemp is, is an important <laughs> player in the Hootsuite Empire. Uh, to Ryan Holmes, uh, who is probably, you know, Scrooge McDuck-like, swimming in a, 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 in, in a treasure trove of gold coins right now. Uh, you missed out, buddy. You missed out. All right. That's, uh, 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 yeah. Cough Small note. Uh, one of the things that Ryan has done recently is he released mm -hmm. his um, schematics mm. for his folding stand-up cardboard uh, desk. So this is like a super low cost cardboard exacto knife tape and you can create this standing desk uh, that's made of cardboard it folds flat you put it on your desk so check that out um i think you can check his twitter or anything Very not cool. not only am i well aware of his standing desk pioneering uh i in fact was one of the first purchasers of said cardboard desk uh, nice. uh and you know because i'm i'm the kind of guy who has the circulation of an 80 year old man uh apparently so prior need, to the cardboard to folding desk at hootsuite yeah. we had the life hacker cheap mm. cheapo ikea desk which mm. is a combination of an ikea shelf mm. and i think it was called the lack uh, table like this sort of ten dollar table and two dollar shelf and boom, you got your shelf with the keyboard and your table for your monitor or your mm. computer worked out great. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think at this point, uh, if there's anyone still listening who is hoping for, for dear, you know, please, please give us some, 
digital marketing strategies that actually work. This is, you know, let, let's, let's, uh, uh, we're not pulling a bait and switch. Kemp has the goods. And I'm just gonna let you start wherever you wanna start because there's, there's an ocean of information you can provide. So dip your toes in. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, digital marketing strategies that work are about two things. They're about effectiveness and cost management. Those are kind of the two things that you wanna make sure that you're, that you're working with as much as possible. Um, I think from a digital marketing perspective, you need to really understand your customer and their buying behavior and patterns. For example, with, uh, you know, my current company, we, one of our products is we offer tech camps in the summer. What, you know, I was able to do with Google Analytics and a few other tools to see that, you know, it only takes two or three visits and 95% of people who are going to buy, buy within 30 days. Um, and so using those insights, I was able to better uh, focus our actual paid search as an example, where people have a lot of intent to buy. And I think intention is really key, understanding the funnel from uh, awareness to intent and how you drive customers through that and which method is most appropriate for awareness versus intent. Um, I think you starting with those fundamentals of really understanding your audience, understanding their journey from learning about your business to considering purchasing and then to purchase is so fundamental. So if you don't have your sort of, you know, it's like building your house on sand versus rocks, you really have to have your fundamentals um, understood and, and be ready to change them. If, if the data tells you that those things are different, I think, mm. you know, for me, search is kind of, it, it's sort of three things. One is how do people look for things and can I create something of massive value for this audience? Um, you know, for me, one of the digital marketing strategies that worked really well, I had this blog that if you go to now, it doesn't have any dates on it, but a lot of my content was, you know, how to spot a Facebook fake profile, you know, how to do Facebook advertising on the cheap, that kind of thing. And my bounce rate was super high and bounce rate, obviously, if someone comes to a page and then leaves without clicking elsewhere, and one of the very simple things I did to improve massively time on site and the bounce rate was I just listed all of my articles and really in the format of, hey, you know, you're somebody who's looking for, you know, expert advice on uh, online advertising. I would list those all to the side and literally people would kind of get bored with whatever content they're looking at, see this other piece and move through. And I think you have to think about constantly engaging your customer, um, you know, whether that's when I look at your social media uh, I'm seeing things of value that are of interest to me. Uh, the other thing that I think is really key before I get into some specific examples is, you know, in the past, and I have this little, this little chart I do, and it's literally like, here, hey, here's a, here's a rectangle. And in the middle is this circle, and the circle is your product and service. And traditionally, you know, marketers, I think, you know, I'd say all the way up until the late 90s, it was all about, hey, let's talk about our product and service. And very few companies were really focused on what they should have been, which is, what's our customer lifestyle all about? And how do we provide value to our customer's lifestyle? You see this a lot with really smart um, inbound marketers where, you know, the customer lifestyle, uh, and I love examples of marketing to marketers. I call it hyperspace because it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but if you look at these uh, individuals who you, you see something on social or somewhere else, you land on the webpage within sort of five seconds, you're getting a pop-up. And if that pop-up asks me, hey, sign up for this newsletter, it, it's, it's not very valuable to me. One, I don't even know why I would sign up for it. And I think starting with what's in it for the customer is super key. What's the value? Give me three bullet points about what value I'm going to get from your newsletter. Another one I like to see is, hey, here's your, your free ebook, um, you know, uh, 40 tips on how to improve your marketing uh, one step at a time. 
a lot of the time those eBooks come from blog posts, you know, that that company has been putting out for you know, years and they're like, hey, let's aggregate this content and put it into another format. Um, and that's something that's worked for me. Uh, I was working another education company, uh, kind of like a private Facebook for our students learning. And one of the things that I realized was, okay, what we do is this kind of thing here, this is our product and service, but our customer, a teacher or an educational leader has this whole customer lifestyle. And how do we provide value to the customer lifestyle so that they then become aware of us? Because if I just focus on the product and service, I can only talk to this many people. But if I'm thinking about the whole customer lifestyle, we can really expand the box and open their mind. We took these eBooks, I went out to the market, I found the expert in education, I negotiated with them to craft a sort of 50 to 80 page eBook. We put it online, I used Facebook lead ads, which are a really interesting ad unit. Uh, they ain't what they used to be, you used to be able to target people's sort of job titles and all kinds of things. And, through privacy rules has become a little bit locked down. But the idea is, you know, Facebook's conditioned a human being to never want to leave the platform. So if you link out to a landing page or another service or whatever, you're going to have a really tough time getting that person to switch out. What lead ads let you do is they let you put that form right into Facebook. And so what we did is we took these eBooks and of course we published them on our blog in small segments. We went to third party distributors who, uh, you know, content product providers, education week, you know, specific industry blogs and say, hey, we have this free content. Would you guys like to publish it on your, on your blog? All we ask is that you provide a link at the bottom where people can get the entire ebook. That worked so well, right? Right now, everyone wants free, free content. They have for years. And if your content is valuable to their audience, even if it contains something self-promotional, hopefully towards the bottom and maybe just a little bit at the top, a mention, they're gonna be cool with that. That it provides value to their audience and it isn't just selling, 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 right? It's all about being helpful and providing value. We took those eBooks, then we printed them, put them into print form. Then we went to conferences. We had these stacks of eBooks. Hey, here's a business card. We have a great chat with somebody. And then we'd select the eBook most appropriate to the challenge they were having. Um, worked brilliantly. People were blown away, like a, a physical book. Wow. Um, and you know, um, even though you can use your device on the airplane during, um, during takeoff now, uh, I find it a lot easier just to open up a book and, and read it. So I think, you know, that lesson for me was about creating content that's of value and delivering in a digital way, but also how do we cut up this big pie that we made and serve everybody a slice? And how do we leverage this in our real life meetings? You know, when we went to customer meetings, we bring a copy of each ebook um, in physical form and we'd say, hey, you know, these are available online, share them with your entire, um, all of your educators and share them with your community. Uh, we wanna, you know, share the wealth. Of course, then, we had a webinar about the ebook and we brought in the expert who wrote it and then we reached out to a couple other experts. And I think that's another key thing. You know, this, I think it used to be called kind of guest blogging and you would ask somebody, Hey, can you write some content for my website? And I think the pitch there should really be about how you can help them gain access to your audience. Right? Um, so it's a bit challenging when you don't have much of an audience, but when you do, there's a huge opportunity there. And I think that is, really important to be able to bring a lot of people together. Um, if you have the same customer as another company and you don't compete directly with them, maybe you're a mild budgetary competitor, which means you might be competing for the same pot of dollars, but it makes a lot of sense to say, Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of you, Jonathan, right? So you're in the PR game. You might say, Hey, I want to talk to a creative de design agency and I want to talk to an SEO PPC agency and I want to bring together this round table or this panel 
Um, we're going to do it on Zoom, and each of them is going to push it to their networks, and those speakers are going to push it to their networks, and suddenly you're going to have this meeting where not only are your existing customers there to get value from these people you've connected with, and therefore from you, but they're also bringing their audience to be exposed to you. So I think we have to think of digital marketing less as, hey, how do I get the lowest possible user acquisition cost, and more at how do I get the most length out of all the things I'm doing? Mm. So as it happens, we happen to have a uh, guest post, uh, an article going up on Front Funder, uh, which gets equity funding for uh, generally tech startups. Um, and uh, so that's, I think, should be coming out next week. So you can, hey, you can look for that. Uh, some great tips in there on how to get PR for your big launch. Um, and so that's, that was exactly tying into the strategy you just outlined. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, I think it still works. And I guess in another week or two, I will find out. Um, I, I also, I loved what you were saying about, um, you know, looking for, you know, first of all, understanding who your audience truly is and, and presumably there's going to be different customer personas and, and you're going to want to target uh, different segments. And then beyond that, okay, once you've identified them, what do they want? Um, and uh, I, uh, through the examples you're providing, you know, I, there's, there's a, a lot of creativity that goes into it, uh, a lot of ad adapting. Uh, you know, one of the, the strategies you just mentioned was about um, using and reusing and, and adapting in different ways the, the content that you have in order to get in front of different audiences. We do that all the time. Uh, like the, uh, the, the, the pitches that we develop uh, for our clients to get in front of reporters um, you know, our clients are using those, uh, those pieces, uh, you know, with some very light editing, uh, that you've, you've now got some, some pieces for your newsletter, for a blog post. Um, you know, so if it gets in front of a reporter, great. If it doesn't, Hey, it may eventually. And in the meantime, it's marketing content. That's, I think that's so key. And I also, you know, when I think of that, I think of, okay, you know, maybe you have your company blog and maybe you have medium, but I really think there's a lot of value in LinkedIn publisher. I, you know, that's what I, I like to publish my content there as well. Um, I think it, it's a more social place. Other people, more people are going to see it. Other people are going to share it, you know, for a lot of organizations, it's probably a better place to publish than your own blog, depending on how mature and developed it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, Maybe you have some thoughts on um, that. I know this is very um, granular, but when to push out content on uh, LinkedIn or other kinds of platforms? Because I'm I'm thinking of one time we put out a um, <coughs> we we helped a, a client develop a piece of content for uh, LinkedIn, and I think it got something like a hundred and. 57,000 views and tons of engagement. And the next week, uh, we, we followed the same recipe and they put it out on a weekend and it got like 160 views and like two likes. And the, the client was like, what is, what is going on here? And I, I was like, well, um, I guess we're going to pick a different day. 
I think there's your, net, your network, there's your audience, um, and there's the human habits, right? So, you know, for, for our tech camps brand currently that is, you know, marketing and selling to parents, you know, Tuesday at 9 a.m., not always the best time to send out a message or an email that's related to family and family function, right? We find Sunday is an incredible day, right? You, we try to aim sort of, we call it the just after church email, uh, you know, when they're kind of either sitting at tea or lunch or at the next thing in the day. And we find that we have a lot better um, open rates and people action things a lot better on a Sunday for us anyway. And I think that's really important. Um, but of course, if, you know, that's just email, but if I was to go to LinkedIn and, and say, okay, you know, my audience is these parents and Sunday is a great day. And so I'm gonna publish on LinkedIn on Sunday make it a bit of an error because you know, who's going on LinkedIn on a Sunday, uh, maybe some LinkedIn heavies and maybe some people looking for work. Um, but you know, there, there's, there's sort of, you got to consider all of those factors in terms of your best practices. And I know people are so obsessed with the best time to publish. Um, and I remember this when I was working at Hootsuite, people would constantly, constantly ask this. We had these optimizing tools in the platform and you know, everyone is very unique. It's a very much an industry thing. And I, I would, very, very much industry and region. Those are the key things. And I think it goes back to something I was saying earlier that I can't say enough. It's especially marketers because salespeople are very close to revenue, right? They're judged by revenue. They're commissioned by revenue. Everything they do is about revenue. With marketing, you need to be thinking about how your actions lead to revenue, right? It's fun. It's so much fun to make cool content and put it on social, but is it driving revenue for your business? And additionally, how does it drive revenue? What's the path for someone to see a super cool Instagram story and then decide to buy something from your company? And you know, you gotta ask yourself, can I track it? How much can I track it? And what can I do to track it? So I think, you know, I always say, I like to say marketing is, is sales and storytelling at scale. Um, because there's a strange divide among a lot of marketers. Oh, I'm not a salesperson or this kind of thing. And I, you know, before I was a marketer, I was somebody, oh, I don't want, I'm not, I don't want to do sales. And every job is sales. Everything you do is sales. Trying to, you know, trying to convince your family to go to this restaurant tonight or talking to your buddy about where you're going to go on your mountain biking adventure or which board game we're going to play. Those are all sales jobs. And so I think people need to be a little less averse to sales and a little bit more thoughtful about how actions lead to revenue. Yeah, you know, I, I often feel the same way about uh, the the skills required and the service required for public relations. Uh, when you are pitching reporters day in, day out, and, you know, you're trying to get a win-win where you're giving them a story that they want for the time that they want it, and, you know, you're filling a need. Um, it's very much akin to a sales process, um, although, you know, it's, it's also interesting, you know, we were talking about, you were talking about, you know, results and being data driven and um, what results matter. And, and um, so it's, it's interesting that to me that, you know, you're, 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 you're looking at, at two different sets of, or two different kinds of results typically when, you know, you, you're, you're looking at PR and, and marketing, particularly digital marketing. And, and I've, I've mentioned before that, PR is not the first thing you you bring into the company. It's you have to get the 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 marketing uh, process and your sales process and your revenue generation in there before you can add a mul force multiplier like PR. Um, sorry, I think apologies. You just I think it was I might have been making some some beer cracking sounds. Um, I think marketing is is in the same boat. I think sales and revenue should definitely come before marketing. 
Um, it is a multiplier. <laughs> it might be a little bit different if you're in a B2C model or you have a very transactional sales experience. You know, I think of uh, our pals at Thuggies with their amazing onesies and big, big hoodies. And, you know, it's very transactional. And so marketing is sales there. The emails I get, the Instagram ads I see, those are the sales activities. So I think in some cases, sales equals marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, there's, there's definitely, there's a lot that, that connects the two. And, and I, I may have spoken on, on previous vlog casts about how just earlier in, in my career, uh, I was, this is one of my, one of the, the earliest uh, marketing gigs that I had, not at Hootsuite. Um, and uh, the, the sales and marketing teams were so siloed. Uh, the, it, it, it was this, this weird thing where, uh, you know, my, I think it was like my second or third day, I, I'd been researching the company and it's like, okay, I got to talk to some internal people to find out what exactly are our products and what are people talking about? They, you know, I, I couldn't talk to technical people because they were $500 an hour. And I, I couldn't talk to salespeople because they were busy calling people all day. And it's like, okay, what am I going to do? And I, I was told, um, uh, well, you need to go to, um, you know, uh, companies on, on the web that, you know, do what we do and, uh, uh, you know, look at what they wrote and then just sort of, you know, write something similar to that. I'm thinking, I don't know what we do because no one's talking to me. And, and, the, <laughs> and the, uh, uh, the, the, the sales team was like, they would uh, occasionally turn to me every, every three weeks or so uh, with like, uh, you know, because they, they, they would have pressure coming down from them on high to, to get results. And it's like, mm -hmm. I need a sales letter written for me in the next three minutes. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what you do, man. Uh, so it, it was, um, I'm, I'm so happy that no other, uh, marketing role I was ever in, uh, either with, you know, currently what I do or, or after that was, was like that. It was, uh, uh, it was a trial by fire. I, I don't that, know. That I, is I, pretty I, good I, advice. Yeah. That is pretty advice. Pretty good advice you got is, Hey, go look at our biggest competitor and go, you know, because, and I say, I give this advice to a lot of people and they're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, you're not literally copying, but. Actually, one of my uh, former CEOs, his, one of his philosophies was JFC. And a lot of people think that refers to, you know, Jesus Christ. But he's saying just effing copy. And in this instance of this company, we were talking about, um, we had some Facebook-like functionality where people could like and reply and comment. And, you know, the product and tech teams were just putting so much thought into how this, he's like, guys, this giant company who's worth, you know, infinitely more than us has already figured this out just copy what they've done. And part of it was, that's not our expertise. So if we need to create a function like that, let's just look to the big player with the most money who's done the most, you know, uh, behavioral psychological research on this. Um, I think it, it, it's true today as well. I, I still direct people, hey, find the company that's just like you that appeals to the same customer that's trying to sell the same thing and has 10 times the budget you do and 10 so times the team size. So it's the Burger King methodology. Uh, if I, I, this may be an urban legend, but I, I was told uh, this is many years ago that uh, basically uh, Burger King would look at the public filings of uh, McDonald's, mm. like they would have to publish as a public company, they would have right. to publish their market research for where to locate new franchises. And uh, so they would just look at those and be like, okay, well, we'll open like uh, a block away. And this is why you would see 
a lot of uh, McDonald's and, and Burger Kings like a block away from each other. I mean, that may be an ur urban legend, but yeah, uh, no, no, that's, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. It also reminds me of a, a strategy that some salespeople at Hootsuite taught me, which was um, you want to look at the filings of publicly traded companies, particularly the ones that that you're targeting. And what you want to do is when you reach that kind of person who, you know, is in the middle of the pile or whatever, who's, who's your initial contact, you want to reference that document and reference the strategic goals of the company. Because when they go to their higher up or they make the case about, hey, we should pay attention to this company and talk to them, they're going to reference, hey, they know how this applies to our strategic objectives as a company for the next three to five years. Um, I think that what, whether you're marketing, you know, and you might be doing some account-based marketing, um, which is a really jazzy way of saying hyper-targeted and focused marketing on a specific company or vertical. And I, that can help you as well, especially, you know, the more, the, the fewer customers you have that represent the more money, the more likely you are to do account-based marketing and to, to be using some of those public filings for marketing mm -hmm. purposes and not just sales purposes. I'm going to push back just, <laughs> sorry, just a little bit on this uh, idea because um, to my mind, uh, you know, the way to not just get, you know, some money for now, get some advantage of a few percentage uh, points improvement is to try to find some open ocean uh, area where your competition isn't some super creative thing and, and go into that and, you know, high risk, high reward. Um, and the, so I, I would sometimes run into this with uh, an, another marketing person where uh, every, every time I had uh, an idea and that, that was kind of my strong suit. I'm the weirdo with the crazy ideas. And I, I'm sure some of them were viable, but you know, every time uh, they would come back to me with, well, what other company has done this? Show me a company that has done this thing and gotten results and show me how we could implement it. And it's like, damn it, you're right. But, uh, you know, I, I felt like there were, there were at least a few occasions where it's like, okay, number one, I, I thank, thank you. I've done my research. I didn't find any companies doing this and I think we should do this. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you give a little more, I, I think you need to provide like, you don't need to say who the company is, but I want to hear one of just one example of one of these ideas that you're like, this could be a, a, a gangbuster. This could break out the doors. And someone told you, I haven't never seen anyone do it. We're not going to do it. I, you know what? I, it was, I'm, uh, I was afraid I, I you were going to say that. <laughs> I, I can't think of an example that wouldn't probably identify the company. If you look at my LinkedIn. Okay. So, okay. um, I, don't worry. I, no one's looking at your LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Uh, uh, no, and, and thanks. No, that you've, you've done exactly what I, I call out my, uh, uh, whenever there's an internal dispute on the team, it's usually me saying, there's too much tell here, not enough show. And so you called me out nice. on my own uh, 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 bad behavior and okay, I give up. Uh, if, if you, you know, but where, where yeah. are you going with this? Well, we, we do in my company, we do talk a lot about red oceans and blue oceans, you know, um, because we're in sort of a private equity space and we are looking for blue oceans all the time. Mm. Um, and it's very interesting, you know, particularly in, uh, well-established industries like education, uh, how close together red oceans and blue oceans are sometimes literally to your point, 
a simple positioning change and, you know, your, your go to market levers, which is how are we going to make money? You tweak those and suddenly you've moved from a red ocean with the same product offering into a blue ocean. Um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing a lot of success with that we didn't even think would be successful is offering our curriculum and our model for running tech camps to schools that want to run for profit after school weekend uh, spring summer winter break programs um, you know we recently had an opportunity to present to a very uh, prestigious and large consortium of schools and you know we were pitching them on you know online courses for their students during the crisis uh, professional development online for their teachers and this option for to run these tech camps and you know their responses were overwhelmingly about the new revenue opportunity and it was interesting to us to think that, you know, we kind of looked at this, these, these are schools, largely international schools on a global level. So they're not public schools as much as sort of either private or independent schools um, that are located all over the world. But for them, you know, they operate more like a business. So their interest was, well, especially the decision makers, how do we make this business more profitable and leverage the assets we have? We already have teachers, we already have classrooms, we already have devices. Well, with this curriculum and this model, we can now start offering after school weekend and, and break class, break courses. And that was, you know, not a huge surprise to us, but we were overwhelmed by the amount of them that said our number one interest is to run this for-profit option. Hmm. So that, that's an interesting example of, uh, you know, trying to think of uh, opportunities that are, uh, no, no, you know, others maybe aren't doing, making sure that you're, uh, you know, keeping an eye on how does this actually impact revenue, being able to be nimble, agile for what the market now needs, as opposed to maybe a few weeks ago, clearly, um, you know, in, in the midst of this pandemic, a lot of companies have been pivoting their marketing, their sales, even their, uh, their, their foundational products and services. They're, they're just changing everything up to, you know, be just to exist in, in, in the current market and, and hopefully thrive. Um, so uh, good on you to all the companies doing that. Um, so I, 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 think, I think, I think companies that can take advantage right now are pretty lucky. And yeah, there are definitely some where like they have taken it on themselves to think of how to do it and made something happen. Um, and there are others where you're very surprised like Foodora withdrawing from Canada. Whoa. Yes, yes. Right now, so, while well, everyone's ordering food from you guys. That also, I, I had the exact same reaction, but uh, you never know what's going on internally with the company. And um, so it may be that, you know, when the economy was going gangbusters and there was no hint of a pandemic, uh, people were not really squirreling away their resources. They were just going all guns blazing on, this is what we need to do because it's working and let's just double down and double down and double down. And then overnight, everything changed. And uh, for companies that maybe were a little bit cautious in the past, they squirreled away whatever they could for a rainy day. And uh, now they're, they have the opportunity to increase their share of voice by investing in uh, digital marketing strategies, in, in uh, advertising, in content, whatever they're going to do um, at a time when everyone else is pulling back and they can become market leaders. Definitely. Yeah. We, we've been pretty lucky, right? Obviously we're in the education space. Um, we launched a teacher plan for our product in late February, 
we were going to make it paid. We decided to make it free and that saw a just incredible growth for us. Um, Education is an interesting space because it, it's so much more about establishing value and building the stories in the early days. And when you're, when you're sort of the product market um, plug-in or plug -in product market fit phase. And so it's very good for us to have thousands and thousands of educators from all these different places around the world signing up to use the platform and using it. And then, you know, in addition, those people are also looking at the giant lists of all the things they can use. And so we get on those lists and that continues to drive uh, growth at zero cost. There's no advertising cost to add your free resource to a list of resources. Um, but then it becomes about, you know, what digital marketing methods are you using to convert those people and mm -hmm. to understand how the buyer will purchase from you and how you will get the money. Again, coming yeah. back to how you get the money in the end. Yeah, you, you, you can't uh, do the, the freemium thing forever. And, uh, you know, it's so funny uh, to me. I was at a conference a few years back. And by the way, I'm, I'm cognizant of your time. You've been very generous with it. So we're, we're coming to the end. Uh, but um, I was at a, at a conference a few years back. And I, there was TaskRabbit and a few other companies that uh, were fairly prominent at the time. And uh, it, there was almost a theme to most of the conference that it, this thing, this line kept, kept coming up in various panels and talks of, yeah, now this is the year we're aiming for profitability. And uh, so, you know, and, and they've been, you know, the, these were companies that had been all about scaling up, scaling up, scaling up. And uh, now it was about, we actually have to make the books balance, um, which to my mind was, uh, I guess it, it opened my mind because uh, maybe I had had a more conservative mindset in terms of uh, shouldn't you be profitable from the start, but freemium can work. Uh, when, when is, I guess, when do you know, when do you know when it's time to, uh, you know, switch or, or how do you, well, you, how do you, you deal need, with that? You need, again, it kind of goes back. And I guess this is getting more, you know, digital sales strategies. But you need to understand how you turn a free user into a paying customer. And you need to have a defined path for that. Um, whether that's a series of emails and a series of calls and offers and in-person meeting, you know, depending on if you're more on the consumer end or more on the enterprise end of things. Um, you know, that's really what it comes down to is understanding the flow. And that's why, you know, in my mind, that's why you do freemium. You do it to establish a massive user base because also in the private equity space, the more people you have in there, the more value there is to your business. That's part of the value of your business, not only revenue. Um, and then you need, you need to know how do we turn a free user into a paying customer? So really what it comes down to is freemium has to be the scaled down version of what you offer, you know, and you, and the, the service, the products and services you offer on top of that need to be of significant enough value that a certain percentage of your customers are going to spend the money for the upgrade. That's, mm. that's just the key. Okay. Well, um, I could probably keep you here for another, um, well, couple of weeks, but you know, you've got a lot of knowledge to unload, but I think the better way is for me to invite you back to a future episode where we can Definitely. go into depth on, uh, some other strategies we haven't covered. Yeah, here. Hopefully you'll edit this a little bit so that it's just like, you know, not all me chatting about myself and whatnot. Um, and you can pull some of those nuggets out a bit, but Hey, it's your call. I thought that was delightful. Well, you're not the audience. <laughs> we, enjoy, we enjoy having beverages and talking marketing and sales and PR. So, All right. All right. Well, here, here's, here's the thing. Uh, people, 
you know, don't actually come here for the digital marketing tips and the other tips that they, it's the banter. That's what it's all about. That's what they love. So, that's the one, those, that's uh, the part I enjoyed yeah. of the previous episode. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Hope the audience is enjoying it. And uh, this has been another episode of the MindMeld PR vlog. I've been very uh, uh, happy to be joined by Camp Edmonds, and uh, who, who is the uh, Director of Marketing and Technology at Digital Media Academy. And uh, for the audience, how would they find you if they wanted to reach out, find you out You can find me you? on Twitter at Kemp Edmonds. I think it's there in the recording, hopefully. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Kemp Edmonds. Um, you can also email me with anything at all. I'm at kempedmonds at gmail.com. And you can find me, you can look at my ancient blog if you want at kempedmonds.com. I make always sure, do. Make sure to laugh at me about how old it is. I always do that too. Okay. <laughs> all right, Kemp, it's best, been a pleasure. Jonathan. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you so all much. Right. Ciao.